The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. Today, I am thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Natalia Fuller. She is a psychiatrist and a certified sex therapist through the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. She's here to talk to us about sexual health and mental health in the Black community. Dr. Fuller, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Bradley, for having me. I appreciate it, and I am happy to be here. And you said you're an avid listener, so I, I am thrilled that... Yes. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's start from the beginning. When did you decide to become a physician? You know what? My mom says that when I was a kid, I used to love to play doctor and nurse. I don't remember that. Honestly, I've always wanted to be like an FBI or CIA agent. <laughs> But um, medicine kind of fell into my lap. I've always been very interested in medicine. I never thought I would become a physician only because I hated school. Always loved to learn. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to school for that many amount of years. And it kind of fell into my lap. I got my master's and then I was like, okay, what next? I felt like I wasn't making enough money. I wasn't able to really make decisions. I was working for an inpatient psychiatric ward and I couldn't really make any decisions. All the psychiatrists and the psychologists had to make decisions. And I was like, you know what? I was working alongside a psychiatrist and he used to really value my opinion. And he was like, you know what? I think you should really think about going to medical school. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Maybe I'll just, you know, I'll be a psychologist. I did my research. I actually applied to both programs. And once I got into medical school, my family was like, you better go to medical school. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to give it a try and see if I make it, because they always say like 50 to 70 people, 50 to 70 percent of individuals flunk out their first year. So I'm like, if I don't make it the first year, then it's not for me. Well, every year I kept making it. Mm. So here I am. Look at God. And you ended up going to the Washington University School of Medicine. Yes. Yep, Washington University, and then I did my clinical rotations in Atlanta, Georgia, fellowship in Atlanta, Georgia. Everything else was in Atlanta, and then I just decided to stay here. Yeah, so you knew going into medical school that psychiatry was a specialty for you? Absolutely, yeah. I was a psych major and undergraduate, a neuroscience minor, theater minor. I actually really wanted to be an actress (laughs) at one point. And then uh, when I got my master's, I got that from Walden University and I was specializing in children, adolescent counseling and sex education. And then that's where the sex therapy came in. I actually was a sex therapist before I even went to medical school. I just was not using it. I wasn't utilizing it. I wasn't doing anything with it. And during medical school was when I decided I was like, you know what? I need to go back and start taking some more classes And that's when I started taking more classes through ASEC and I got recertified and took just different types of courses. And I was like, you know what, when I graduate um, and become a doctor, I want to combine my two passions. But I've always been a mental health advocate. Mental health has run in my family. Mental illness, excuse me, has run in my family. And so I've always just wanted to be a voice for people that felt like they didn't have a voice. But honestly, I was doing uh, clinical rotations. I love dermatology and OBGYN. So it was it was a close call between those two almost. Hmm. So the certification in sex therapy that came before or after medical school? 
it came before. So I was getting my master's in family, family and marriage counseling. And a year into the program, I decided that I did not want to be a family and marriage counseling. It was not for me. I was tired of hearing couples argue all day. Uh, my mentor agreed because after I told a couple that they should get a divorce, mm. he was like, you know what? Um, this is not for you. So I started to specialize more so in like the children adolescent counseling. But a part of the marriage counseling, when you do that, you take classes based around sex education because sex, a healthy sex life is very much a part of being married. So you take a couple courses in that. And I was so intrigued and interested. I started studying more to human sexuality, human behaviors, sexuality versus sensuality. And I didn't even know I, I was only like 21 at the time. So I didn't even know that sex therapy was a career until my mentor um, who's from California, you know, they're very progressive. Mm. So he was like, you know, this is actually a career that you can go into. So I got my master's in that. I got sex education, a master's in sex education slash children, adolescent counseling. And I didn't do anything with it because I was in North Carolina at the time. And I'm like, what can I possibly do with this? So, you know, I was just working for an inpatient clinic and it took years later for once I got into medical school that people were like, hey, you should really like combine the two. You should really do something with your sex therapy. You can make money on the side. Da, da, da. And that's when I started realizing, hey, there is a need for this and I can combine both of my passions. Very interesting. We'll definitely touch on that in a little bit. So you moved to St. Louis correct, for medical school? Mm -hmm. I was in St. Louis for medical school. And what were your experiences? A new city, um, you know, has its own share of, of problems and social issues. What was your experience at Washington University of St. Louis? Um, so honestly, overall, I had a good experience. So my dad's side of the family is from Missouri. So I have a lot of family there. So and I went to high school there. My I'm a military brat, guys. Mm -hmm. I went to a lot of high school. So if you hear me mention like four different <laughs> high schools. Trying to keep track. Um, I was a right. I was a military brat. My dad was in the Navy. And so my junior year of high school, I had moved to St. Louis. So I was already very familiar with the area. Um, had family there. So it was a really smooth transition for me. I wish, though, the only difference is, is I wish I would have honestly paid more attention to the HBCU schools, the medical schools. Um, I didn't really know much about them. So if I could have did it all over again, I think I probably would have did an HBCU school just for the diversity, yeah. because honestly, there was not a lot of people that looked like me <laughs> going to Washington University. After Washington University, you went down to Hotlanta, where you did your psychiatry residency at Emory. So how was that transition for you? It was a smooth transition because I had a lot of friends in Atlanta because of my undergraduate. I went in, I went to Wesleyan in Macon, Georgia. And so it's an all-girls private school if no one's heard of it. And a lot of my friends already lived in Atlanta. So it was a super smooth transition for me. I absolutely loved Atlanta, fit right into the community, made a lot of great connections. It's so easy to network out here as a Black doctor. The Black doctors out here, they just welcome you with open arms. <laughs> so it was just really easy. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the networking. I enjoyed the camaraderie. That's something that I didn't quite get in medical school. So it was really nice to have that. Gotcha. And then coming out of residency, how did you decide on the style of practice you would pursue? So that actually happened. I kind of fell into 
that. So I got hired right after graduate, uh, before I graduated, and I got fired on like my fourth day. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it was uh, racial discrimination for sure. I'm not gonna get too much into it because um, oh. I had to like put a lawsuit against the company. Hmm. But yeah, so they hired me, then they fired me, and they said, "Oh, you know, you're too much." It was pretty much because I was a black female, I think. But they said, "Oh, it was because they didn't." They were like, "Oh, you're too new. We wanted somebody more seasoned, even though they knew I had just graduated." So a previous job, a pharmaceutical company, had already reached out to me, and I had turned them down because I wanted the company in New York, and they were based around neuroscience, and they were already like just this major company, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to be working for this top company." And so when that happened, um, when it fell through, I just decided to go with the pharmaceutical company. And now I've been with them since like 2018. And honestly, it's been the best decision I've made because I've learned so much from this company. I've grown so much with this company and they just allow me to do my thing. You know, they they don't try and stifle us as physicians. Um, we get to make a lot of decisions when it comes to patient care, and they're very involved in the community. They work with NAMI, which is a great organization that we have. I think every state pretty much has NAMI, um, but it's a great organization that works with people with mental health. So if you have mental health or somebody you know has mental health, it's a great organization to partner with and get to know because they deal a lot with people that are struggling with mental health, and they have so many mental health resources. And NAMI stands for... A National Alliance on Mental Illness. Cool, cool. That's so interesting. And then in addition to the pharmaceutical company, you also do some clinical work as well. Yeah. So I partner part-time with uh, Georgia Healthcare Services, where I work with teenagers. And I also work with veterans that typically deal with PTSD. And then I have my own company, My Body Sex. And that's where I incorporate uh, sex therapy, sex education, sexual wellness um, with the psychiatry portion. And and I know that you're very passionate about this education. Uh, the themes come up multiple times and you're active with curriculum development and teaching. You said in for school children as well as for millennials. Yes, absolutely. Anyone, any ages any and all ages that feel like they need education. Because honestly, if the adults don't know what they're talking about, how can we expect them to educate their children? And that's probably why um, most parents are not educating their children on sex education. It makes them nervous. They're unsure. They don't know the anatomy to do it. If their kids start asking questions, a lot of adults don't even know how to properly put on condoms. And so, you know, when you have that uneasiness about a topic, then it's going to be kind of frustrating or annoying or feel overwhelming for you to teach the youth about it. And that's why, you know, the teen pregnancy rate was so high at one point. Um, it's, it slowly declined actually this year. Hmm. But that's why, you know, a lot of people are pushing for sex educations back in the schools because the parents aren't teaching it. These kids are learning it from music videos. They're learning it from their peers. They're learning it from what they see on TV. Yeah. So I wonder, how do you teach an adult sex education, you would think, you know, I guess we assume that we all know something, but how do you teach it? What are you teaching people? Okay. So one, you know, just to explain to people, what is sexual health education? So, you know, sex education is information about bodily development. It's about sex. It's about sexuality. It's about relationships, but it's also about skill building 
to help young people and elderly people communicate and make informed decisions regarding sex and their sexual health. So, you know, what I teach really varies, um, depend, depends on what people need. But typically, if it's the millennials, I'm teaching them how to communicate about their sexuality and their sexual health. Sometimes we even do how to put on condoms and I'll let them put it on first to see if they do it correctly. And then they're surprised at how they're doing it incorrectly. Hmm. And then anatomy is the huge thing, you know, that I like to teach adults because a lot of them, they don't, they don't know their anatomy. And a lot of men, they don't know the female body and the females don't know the male body, you know? And then, so understanding and valuing, you know, and having, you know, that feeling of control over your own body, respect of other people's bodies. And then consent is the huge thing besides intimacy. You know, everyone wants to talk about that, but the main thing is consent. You know, I have a lot of men in my DMs, you know, they're asking me all the time, like, how do I engage in this conversation with this female about consent? Is right. it weird that I ask her that I want to engage in sexual activity with her? You know, how do I start this conversation? And that's what I teach, essentially. You know, I teach them how to start that conversation. Wow. And these are like PowerPoint or workshops or what? So I, I do PowerPoints, but I like to make it fun and engaging because I don't like to just speak at people. That can be very boring. Um, so typically I do like trivia. I make games. I do bingo um, because no one wants to just be spoken to for a whole hour. Um, so I try and make it fun. Um, my favorite thing to do is to uh, separate people into like, like men versus women. They typically like that. And then we just have like a trivia where we're answering questions. And then I go into explanation while we're playing the game. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm definitely doing a lot to to help this older population. I think I do take for granted, you know, having this medical education with several, you know, courses in anatomy that everybody knows this. And, and so I can see why, you know, some people may need to, to learn. So glad you're there to fill this uh, void. Yes, absolutely. And I took it for granted too until people started DMing me saying, oh, where's the cervix or what is that? Or, you know, how do I find the sexual organ on her body? Or And I'm like, oh, wow. And these are people that are my age. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you guys are asking these questions. And this is why certain things do need to be taught in school. Yeah. So going back to uh, psychiatry and mental health, you mentioned, um, you know, some family history of uh, mental mental health problems. I mean, I, I too have, have some family members and it it really touches a lot of people. I know in the past there was a very significant stigma on mental health in the black community. Right. I'd like to believe that it's gotten better, but but what would you say? Um, I don't honestly believe that it's gotten better. I think mm. that people, more people are bringing awareness to it, like politicians, musicians. Now you have rappers. Um, now making songs about therapy, which is great. And, you know, there's a shift happening, but I don't think the stigma, especially in our community, has totally 100% went away yet. But I do see a shift happening. I do see more people open to talking about it, wanting to talk about it, even the older generation, um, which I think is amazing. I mean, because once conversations are ha are happening that's when change can truly happen, when people are curious about what's going on or how they can help their friends or their loved ones um, or how they can help themselves. And you see more people 
that are less ashamed about, you know, being bipolar, having schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, which is great. So I definitely believe that the movement is happening in the right direction. Can you talk about, I know there's been a, a push where, you know, more people need therapy. Yes. So how do you determine the difference between I need therapy or I need to seek a mental health professional? So a lot of the times, you know, it, it, I'm not going to lie, it's expensive to go to a psychiatrist. It is. So a lot of the times we tell people, you know, start off with like a mental health counselor first and they are skilled enough and trained to know like, hey, you know what? You need a little bit more help than I can provide you with. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to refer you to a psychologist or I'm going to refer you to a psychiatrist. Um, and then there's different master level clinicians that you can go to. So that's why I always tell people, because um, to just go straight to a psychiatrist, unless you just have the funds to do so, uh, or even a psychologist can be very expensive. I mean, the top most psychiatrists, and I'm only talking about in the Atlanta area, um, are charging anywhere from and, I, and I'm talking about the top ones uh, they are charging one hundred dollars an hour and up. Mm. So it can be quite expensive. Um, now, there are a ton of free, you know, healthcare clinics and stuff like that or mental health clinics like NAMI. They provide free health care assessments or they have it at a discounted rate. So there's so there's so many different depending on where you're at. If it's your first time going to therapy and you're just trying to figure out what exactly you need, you're not sure if you need medication or you just need some therapy, then definitely go to a mental health counselor first and then work your way up. But if budget is no, if you don't have a budget and, you know, you're willing to spend any amount of money to make sure that you get, you know, an accurate assessment, then definitely see a psychologist first. Yeah, that's good. That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Another thing, I'm just getting all my questions uh, answered today. A term that I've seen used, and I've tried to do some reading about it, but I've seen it used in, in multiple settings, the concept of trauma-informed consent. Can you explain what that is and how it's performed? Okay. So um, trauma-informed care, well, there's two different ones. So I'll go, I guess I'll go into trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. um, so trauma-informed care is where all parties involved recognize and respond to the impact of tra traumatic stress or those who have been who have been in contact with the person that needs that sort of care. So like whether that's children, caregivers or providers. So there's like different I don't know, there's different levels or informed approaches that they use. So they have like safety and step two, I believe, is uh, trustworthiness and transparency. Then they have peer support. So it's like a guiding principles on how you should help someone that is in need of trauma care. It's a little bit hard to, um, a little bit difficult to explain. So I hope I explained that correctly. But yeah, we call it trauma-informed care, TIC. And it's pretty much, you know, you assume that an individual is more likely than not to have a history of trauma. You want to help that person. You see, you recognize the presence of the trauma symptoms. You acknowledge them. And then you want to take the steps. That's the word I should use. You want to take the steps. There's six principles that you take to make sure that they receive the proper care. And I went through three of those, I think, because the fourth one, I believe, is collaboration. 
And then I forgot the other step. Sorry, guys. No, it's good. <laughs> but it's a good place to start. So I can look up trauma-informed care. And then how do I, you kind of mentioned it, but how do I know when I need to initiate this, right? I'm an anesthesiologist. So I don't know when and where does this present where you need to start using trauma-informed care? So you see an issue would probably step one. So let's say you're with a friend and you know that they're they're starting to have like maybe an anxiety attack or some a sort of emotional breakdown or they're just not acting like themselves. You're recognizing the signs of depression. They're being withdrawn. Maybe they're not eating or they're overeating. Um, they're canceling you guys' things that you typically do, like hanging out together. Um, you're rarely seeing them. They're not answering their your calls. They're not answering your texts. So things like that, you, uh, you, you realize that there is an issue. And then next would be to seek help for them. So after you realize, you know what, my friend has this issue. I'm noticing a pattern or a difference in their behavior. So then the next step would be, okay, I need to speak to them. So then you speak to them and you say, hey, are you feeling depressed? Um, I've noticed that your behavior, you want to list their behaviors, what you're noticing, because some people will deny it. You know, I've had friends, even though they know what I do for a living, they'll tell me, no, I'm not depressed. And I'm like, okay, I can clearly see the signs because I do this for a living. Mm. But, you know, they're just not willing to acknowledge because they want to be strong or, you know, for them you know, they weren't able to express that ever in life. So they're not used to having to express that. So it would be, you know, it would be awkward for them to speak to somebody about their problems or their past traumas, because that's not a lot of times what we're taught to talk about certain things. And so, you know, after you confront them and state, hey, I've noticed a change, a pattern, a difference in your behavior. What's going on? Are you feeling anxious? Are you dealing with depression? The next thing is to find them help and seek help, you know, Give them a list of therapists, give them the information to NAMI, give them the depression hotline, you know, provide them with resources in ways um, that they can reach out to somebody. And then the next step for them would be to actually reach out. But it really takes a community because a lot of times uh, mental health counselor, therapists, psychiatrists, all of us, you know, we want to make sure that they have support. So we want to reach out to their support system, talk to their support system. So, you know, raising that trauma awareness and realizing, hey, there's an issue here. How can we gather as a community and help them and make them feel empowered? That is uh, so incredibly helpful for me because I guess I, I never realized that it was something that it was I'd always thought it was a clinical thing that I do as a physician for my patients, but I never thought about applying mm -hmm. that to my interpersonal relationship. So thank you so much for uh, for sharing. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the three steps they always say is, you know, realize that there's an issue, recognize and then respond. So, I mean, people don't even realize that they're already following those steps and they just want to be helpful. And it's like you're, you're doing the work. You're that is what trauma informed care is centered around. So, Dr. Fuller, in addition to all the other things you're doing in terms of education, therapy, you're also an entrepreneur and you launched your own product line, Mind Body Sex. Yes, that is correct. So Mind Body Sex is my baby. Um, so pretty <laughs> much that is where I have combined my passion. I wanted to seek to empower my clients to enhance their, you know, sexual functioning through the expansion of sexual knowledge, emotional and relational, uh, relational awareness, and really just to help them, you know, have confidence in their own 
relationships and sexuality and to have a voice to express what they want. And so to me, it is, or not even to me, statistically, it's, it is all connected. You know, you can't have a great sexual relationship with anyone else if your mind and your body is not on one page, you know? And so that's what I help kind of align everything is getting your mind right, uh, getting your body in synced with your mind, and then you can have great sex. So that's potentially, you know, what mind body sex is all about. I do sell products on there. I have some organic lubricant because I am, of course, because I'm a physician, you know, I am all about health and wellness. Um, so all of my products are organic. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how that came about. And I'm just really here to just educate and help individuals have a better sex life. Yeah, so I'm curious, how do you go about making this idea from a from a concept to bring it to market? Did you design the components of these uh, products or, or the chemistry or, or how did you make it a thing? Well, I actually had to hire a chemist. I wish I could take credit for that. Um, I had to actually hire a chemist. But how it came about was um, with my clients, I do I do shop sometimes for my clients. Um, some of my clients are very busy and they'll be like, hey, you know what? I want to pick up um, some fun toys and products for my wife or my husband. Can you pick up X, Y and Z for me? And I would go to the store and Wait, a lot you would, of the you products, would go, you would shop for them? Yes, I do. I, I personally shop for them as well. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay extra for it. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> <It's valuable>. But <laughs> yeah, I do. Because a lot of times they don't, people know how they want their body to feel, but they don't know how to get it. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, oh, I like this, but I don't know what will help me physically like that certain thing. So you know, that's where I come in and I'm like, okay, you can try this, you can try that. And so a lot of my clients, they're busy people. So they're like, you know what, can you just, I trust you. Can you pick up, just pick up some things that you think that we'll both enjoy. And so when I was doing that in the process of doing that, I noticed that a lot of the lubricants that I wanted to pick up or the toys that I wanted to pick up um, had just really harmful components to them because I do my research on everything. Um, I'm like a part-time vegan and um, I like organic <laughs> products. And <laughs> a lot of that, you know, you look up all these products and you're like, wait a second, that's harmful. You know, certain silicone, certain, you know, plastics and stuff like that. And you're like, that should not be inserted in anybody's body. And so that's how the lubricant became about. I had a patient that kept getting infections, BV. Um, she was getting yeast infections. She was getting bacterial infections. And she would just keep telling me about all these infections in her OBGYN, couldn't figure it out. And finally, I was just like, ask your OBGYN about, like, talk to her about your lubricant. And she didn't know. And so I did some research and I was like, oh, yeah, that lubricant has this chemical in it mm. and you shouldn't use it anymore. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just create a lubricant that my clients can use? So it started off with just my clients using it. And then they were like, oh, you should really sell this. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'll give it a try. And then I started selling it and people liked the product. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'll put it on my website. So how does one go about hiring a chemist? So I got lucky because I actually, one of my friends, she works for L'Oreal. I actually was just doing research online myself. And then one of my friends from college was like, hey, you have a friend that's a chemist like that you know. And I didn't even realize that 
she worked um, in the makeup department. So I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that she would be able to do, you know, like organic products and stuff like that. I didn't put two and two together. I don't know why. So I reached out to her and I'm like, hey, can if I tell you what products I don't want to use and I do research on certain products I do want to use, what I do want it to contain, um, are you able to create this? And she was like, yeah. She was like, you know, I'll let you know what works best. And so I was actually in my kitchen. My mom and I, we were in the kitchen, like putting stuff together, like looking up organic lubricants, because, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you can just use coconut oil. You can use this. So we were looking up a lot of like organic recipes um, that you can really find on Google, but it doesn't work for everybody. Everybody can't use coconut oil. Everyone can't use, you know, certain ingredients in their body. So I was trying to find something universal that was that wasn't going to be harmful. And it took a lot of research. And then once I found the products that I wanted to use, the items that I wanted to use, I just went to her and I was like, hey, would this work? And she was like, yeah. But technically you can find, there's actually a website that you can go online and hire a chemist. And But I just got lucky because I went to college with one. <laughs> wow. And then in terms of uh, product design, who did the marketing? How did you coordinate that? So I actually hired somebody to do that because I am not creative when it comes to certain things. So like my logo design, all of that was actually designed by a gentleman out in California. He actually designed all that for me. I literally just told him, Hey, I want it to center around sex education. Um, like I'm schooling people and I gave him my colors and he was actually the one that designed my logo for me. And then as far as like the product design and everything, there was a company out here in Atlanta where they literally do all that for you. You tell them your mission statement. You tell them what your company is about. And they literally put everything together for you, how you should market it. And I mean, you have to pay for it and it's not cheap, but um, they place everything together for you. And then you just agree to certain things or you disagree. And that's exactly what I did because I'm not that creative when it comes to certain things. So I was just I knew what I wanted my mission statement to be. I knew what I wanted people to get from my products. I knew how I wanted to educate individuals. But that's where it ended. That's where my expertise were limited. Yeah, that's incredible uh, and, and amazing. You're able to take this idea and bring it to fruition. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Dr. Fuller, I have to ask, you are an MMA, mixed martial arts enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> how, no one ever asked that question. That's why I'm laughing. How did that start? Like, how active are you? You have any cage matches coming up? <laughs> that is the best question ever. No one has actually <laughs> asked me about that. And you know what? I'm going to start putting more stuff actually about MMA on my page because I love MMA. I'm like obsessed with it. But it also freaks some people out too. So they're always <laughs> like, oh my God, like, this is too violent. So that's why I, I haven't put it on there as much. But I am who I am, honestly. I like guns. I mean, I grew up with them. My dad's in the military. So MMA started actually when I was a kid. So when my dad been in the military, he did a lot of combat training and when I was little, I was always wrestling my brothers and stuff like that. I have two younger brothers and I was a big tomboy. And so my dad saw this and he was like, you know what? I want my daughter to, you know, have techniques, be able to protect herself. And so he put me in, it started with karate, put me in karate when I was like four or five. And then from there, I just started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, regular jiu-jitsu, MMA. Now I do MMA, Aikido and Krav Maga. 
um, are the ones that I'm doing right now. And when I got to high school, I stopped for a couple of years because I thought I was too cool. And I didn't want to keep going to high school with black eyes. So I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got to stop. <laughs> uh, but in college, I picked it up a little bit. And then once I was finished with medical school, because medical school, I really couldn't do it at all. It was just, I didn't have the time, honestly. And then once I was complete, I picked it back up full time. So now I work out about three to four times a week. I do MMA at a dojo in Tucker, Georgia. And I love it. I absolutely love it. It's such a great stress reliever too. And I tell people all the time, like MMA is great for mental health. I love to tie MMA and mental health together because you know, not only is it a stress reliever and also exercise, but it really teaches people how to have self-control and, you know, achieving a healthy state of mind, you know, helps increase focus, control your emotions. That balance is vital for eliminating stress, dealing with difficult change. And so, you know, and also it helps the release dopamine, which helps to regulate your mood. So, you know, it can be bad if you keep getting knocked in the head. I'm not going to lie. I mean, of course, <laughs> but I don't do it on that level. As a psychiatrist speaking. Um, I've got knocked. Yeah, exactly. So I get knocked in the head a little bit, but not that much to have, you know, severe um, issues with my brain. So I definitely tell parents all the time, you know, in this day and age where, you know, people are trying to say, oh, you know, he has to take Ritalin or Adderall and the kids are so active. I'm like, put them in some mixed martial arts. Get them active. Mm. You know, kids aren't playing outside anymore. So, of course, when they get into school, they've been playing video games all day. They're not going to want to sit sit down anymore. So, you know, get them active, get them stimulated. And it, it really teaches them how to control their emotions. So it's, it's a win-win situation for everybody. That's good. That's, that's a great uh, uh, way to look at it and a great concept. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And how, do you do MMA? I, I do not. I'm one of those people that is a little squeamish. <laughs> okay, okay. I understand. Most people are. Most people are. That's why I typically keep it off my page. I I put it on my stories, but um, you know, I know it kind of frightens a lot of people because they're like, "Oh my god, it's like I just said doesn't name Like what? But <laughs> no, it's I good. Like Clearly, it. some great great exercise, and like you said, the discipline is, is fantastic. I, I one day maybe. Yes, give it a try. Give it a try. Start off with karate and, you know, just work your way up. Cool, cool. All right, Dr. Fuller, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. I know we talked about it earlier, um, but if you're interested in any of the uh, personal hygiene products or the lubricants by the Mind Body Sex line, it's available online. The website is drmbs.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-M-B-S. Com. Definitely check it out. There's a lot more you can read about the product there. Um, Dr. Fuller, where else can people find you on the internet to learn more about the things that you're doing? Maybe sign up for some of your workshops. Absolutely. So my workshops are just kind of random. I typically try and post them on my Instagram. Um, you can find me if you're interested. Uh, my business page is mind.body.sex. And that's where I speak a lot about mental health, uh, sex education and sexual wellness for both men and women. I try and incorporate a balance. And then my personal page where I also talk about sex education, but more on a PG-13 level. Um, and I speak more about mental health on that page. And then I love to travel. My MMA is on there. It's Dr. Canary, that's D-R dot C-A-N-A-R-Y. 
And the reason why I don't, people ask me this question all the time, so I'll get this out of the way. The reason why I do not have my personal name on my Instagram page is because um, with the company that I work for, I do work alongside, or I do work with very um, severely mentally ill individuals. So um, it's just better that they don't find me because I've had some stalker situations. Um, and so, and also my colleagues don't know, some of my colleagues don't know I'm a sex therapist. So um, I try and keep that separate as well. So that's why I go by Dr. Canary. It's just a name that I got in college and it's stuck with me ever since. Well, Dr. Canary, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun and I absolutely love the work that you're doing with your podcast. Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, 